But Louis Zamperini was an American sailor in World War II who was captured by the Japanese. He was tortured and treated hideously for three years, eating uh, rice with maggots and mold and uh, being beaten, uh, you know, working in slave labor camps. And just really, really, really uh, uh, psychologically tortured as well. When he came home uh, and was liberated in 1946, he really went on a very destructive path in his life. He, he got married, but he became a raging alcoholic. Uh, you know, cheated on his wife several times, and she was about to call it quits until she went to a Billy Graham crusade, one of the first ones in Los Angeles. Uh, and she uh, had had a, a you know, God had really opened her heart. She gave her heart to Christ, and she. Uh, said you came home and said, you know what? God has told me I'm not to leave you. I'm going to stay with you. And so he was just kind of, you know, taken aback by that. And you can watch his testimony on, on, uh, on YouTube. So the next night, he goes to the Billy Graham crusade and he gives his heart to Christ. And like he said, in an instant, he had just felt the change as he had prayed the prayer to invite the Holy Spirit to come into his heart. Well, a few years later, in the early 50s, he had tried to go to Japan with the goal of forgiving his captors, particularly the sergeant he was talking about who was especially cruel. The American military leaders, especially under General MacArthur, they did not want him to come because they believed he was lying. They thought what he really wanted to do was execute all of these people, and he was coming under the guise of being a born-again Christian, but that it wasn't real. And uh, so through many appeals, uh, by the mid to late 50s, I can't remember the exact year, he was able to go to Japan. And uh, by that time, you know, many of the guards were underground and in hiding and, you know, they couldn't get the names or anything. But he was able to round up, oh, 20 or 30 of them in a room. And he was able to, and of course, they were all very scared that he might just pull out a pistol and, and shoot them all. But instead, uh, he pulled out his hands and he told them uh, the story of what had happened, and how uh, he was able to find forgiveness from God to him and able to offer forgiveness uh, be because of the same God to all of his captors. And one by one, he went down and he shook their hand and I learned enough Japanese, obviously, to extend <coughs> the concept of forgiveness, saying, I forgive you. And he said, you know, Japanese men, they don't cry. They're, they're especially in public. And he said, yet not one of them didn't shed a tear as I came down and offered forgiveness to the people who had hideously tortured me. And so Louis Zamperi, he, he has passed away. It's too bad. But uh, his story has been chronicled in the book Unbroken. Uh, I suggest you get it. It's a, it's a great book, great read, and it will be a movie. So for those of you who are like, why buy the book when you can wait for the movie? <laughs> hey Amen, I know. <laughs> because the book gives you stuff that the movie doesn't. But anyway, uh, it, it's like, <laughs> I have this joke with a buddy of mine because he, he, he thinks he knows the story of the Lord of the Rings. But he's never read the book. I said, you know what? I read the book. I'm telling you, there's lots of stuff missing. He's like, ah, I'd rather watch the movie in six hours than you know, ten hours, whatever it is. And, take 20 years to read the book. The book is quite long, actually, but that's for the rabbits. So, uh, anyway, back to Unbroken. Louis Zamperini uh, is an excellent example of how we are empowered to forgive primarily 
through the forgiveness that we get through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open it to, well, actually, open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, the scripture is going to come up on the screen, but this morning, uh, this is our second to last message on uh, in the crosshairs, overcoming spiritual opposition. By the way, I'm going to do something a little different. Whoa. Sorry. <laughs> I am a little ill, as you can probably tell, and one of the things that happens when I get sick is I, my ears get all plugged up, and I get um, off balance. I, I literally, I, I, bet, I hope I don't get stopped by the cops, because if they try to have me walk a straight line, I don't know if I can right now. <laughs> but uh, so if I fall, please somebody pick me up. Uh, but uh, this is the second to last message I'll be doing on overcoming spiritual opposition. In November, uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun, do, do something I've never really done before, uh, tackle a topic. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the covenant, marriage and covenant. And we'll do three weeks on marriage. And by the way, this applies to really everybody. Uh, it's not just about being married or what married is like, but how the illustration of marriage also shows us more about God, his relationship to us. And how the church is called to be his bride. Amen? All right. Now, before we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, do a quick scan here. Everybody over 18 here, at least, at least I know that you can handle this. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 and 2. I'm gonna read it real quick. Should be up on the screen here. Paul is writing to this church in Corinth that is under a Greek system. And he writes in 1 Corinthians 5, he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that even pagans do not tolerate. A man is sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmother, and you are proud? Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? Now, one of the interesting things about the Greek culture is they believed in dualism in the human being. In other words, you had the immaterial part of you, the eternal soul, and that was one you. There were actually two yous. The other you was the physical body. And that was a you as well. The you that would live forever was kind of the good you. And, and you couldn't wait to die so that the good you could be released from being held captive by the bad you, which was all of the body, you know, all, all of the temptations and appetites and weaknesses and vices of the body. So for the, for the Greek culture, whatever they did with their bodies, they really didn't care about, you know, sleep with whoever, whatever, eat whatever, smoke whatever, you know, drug, sex, rock and roll, the whole nine yards. You know, they, if they trashed their bodies up, they could care less because that was that side of themselves that was that, that kind of the, you know, the side that was going to die and go into Hades forever. And, but the immaterial self was going to, you know, live forever in hopefully a better place. Well, of course, Paul brings them back to reality. Somebody is ancestrally sleeping with their stepmother, and you are proud? Greeks would often be proud and brag about their illicit sexual conquests. In fact, the more illicit, the more shocking, uh, the more accolades that many of them would receive. And Paul is saying, Shouldn't you rather have gone into mourning? And so what happens is Paul says, you need to take this guy out. 
you need to give the what for. I mean, you, know, you guys need to deal with this. This man needs to be shown how sick this really is. And the church kind of goes, oh, yeah, right. And so they take this guy out, and they do just that. Uh, I don't know whether they kicked him out of the church or, or what happened, but they obviously disciplined him to the point where this guy is becoming suicidal because they feel like you know the, all these people are against him. Fast forward to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul actually draws a, a, a very interesting connection between the two stories. He says in 2 Corinthians 2, which is the next slide, if anyone has caused grief, he has not so much grieved me as he has grieved all of you to some extent. Not to put it too severely. The punishment inflicted on him by the majority is sufficient. And this is what Paul says. Now instead you ought to forgive him and comfort him so that he will not be overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. I urge you, therefore, to reaffirm your love for him. Another reason I wrote you was to see if you would stand the test and be obedient. Verse 10. Anyone you forgive, I also forgive. And what I have forgiven, if there was anything to forgive, I have forgiven in the sight of Christ for your sake. Verse 11 is key. In order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not unaware of his schemes. Paul is making a direct connection between unforgiveness and the devil. <coughs> Paul doesn't make many connections directly to Satan. But in this instant, he draws out unforgiveness and the devil. Now, in my ministry, it's not been very long, but well, 16 years. Uh, that may be a problem for some. Uh, 16 years, there has been about well, five or six times where I've either been called or been dragged into what many of you would call an exorcism. Uh, you know, it's not like Hollywood, it's not like the movies. However, it is a very real thing. You know, there are uh, spirits that, that can you know, so take over the central nervous system that they possess and speak out of and do strange, strange things through these people. And uh, the beauty is if you just follow the New Testament example, you can command them to leave in Jesus' name and begin the process of healing and restoration for the, per for the person who had been attacked or who had been, I guess you'd call, possessed, but it's really a horrible word to use, uh, by the demonic entity. And here's the interesting thing. Uh, in the majority of those cases, I've been able to do follow-up with the, uh, you know, the man or the woman who we prayed for and to try to do some pastoral follow-up. You know, what, what's going on? You know, how do you feel? You know, and all that kind of stuff. And here's the interesting thing I found. You'd expect that a lot of these people, you know, maybe they're uh, hookers or maybe they're alcoholics or drug addicts or, you know, maybe they're, you know, uh, some sort of cultic ritual, you know, prostitute or something like that. Or maybe, you know, it has to be something where they're either addicted to sex, addicted to drugs, addicted to whatever. And overwhelmingly, I have found in all, all five or six cases that I've met with, there was a hurt that happened to them in their past. A deep hurt by some of them. And they had held on to that bitterness and unforgiveness 
so hard that literally the lens of their soul could only see black. Dark. Darkness. Better way to say it. And so we often think, you know, well, yeah, you know, if people are out whoring or if people are out, you know, da, 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 then those are the people that are going to have all these spiritual things happen to them. But honestly, if what Paul is saying is true, the rebellion of the heart is far more serious crime than the weakness of the flesh. I'm not excusing the weakness of the flesh. But the fact of the matter is bitterness and unforgiveness can destroy us. And we don't even know it. We don't even see it. In fact, the worst part is we often feel justified in it. I had someone have a conversation with me after the last service. And they said, you know, Tom, here's the hardest thing about what you said this morning. And you don't know what I'm about to say. Uh, he said, I have someone I have unforgiveness toward. And the worst part is, the fact that I have unforgiveness toward this person, he's still hurting me. Because I know that this unforgiveness is torturing me and killing me, and it's making me hate him all the more. He's like, what should we do? I said, man, call me up. Let's get on our knees and pray. Let's get this thing out of you. You know, forgiveness, you're never going to feel like forgiving somebody. Sometimes you just got to make a choice. I'm going to do it, and I'm going to ask God to help me because it's only God's power I'm going to get through it. Amen? Amen. Sometimes it's just where you're at. I can't think of one person I felt like forgiving. I don't know. I mean, unless I had like an ulterior motive. Well, I'm going to forgive you because I really want this from you. <laughs> you know, a lot of times when we're hurt, it's like that person has destroyed our ability to love. I can't tell you how many times I've counseled marriages and the husband and wife are fighting. And it's so obvious that the husband and the wife aren't the problem. So you begin to ask and pry, you know, well, what's going on in your world? Forget your wife for a moment. You got, you got any conflicts, you know? What's going on in your world? Forget your husband for a moment. You got any conflicts? And sooner or later, you pry back and there's some deep wound there. And now it's affecting all of their relationships. Paul is going back to the same thing here. He says, you know what? Okay, you guys. All right. You did what I asked you to do. But you're punishing this man so much. He's going to be so overwhelmed with excessive sorrow. You're going to prevent his ability to repent. And God doesn't want that. It's time to forgive. Okay, you made your point. You drew the line. You were not proud of it anymore. And you made the stand that this is not the morals that your church is going to stand for. That's great. But now remember, let's extend forgiveness. And of course, the church leaders go, why? Right there. Because you were extending forgiveness. Amen. Amen? Amen. So, we move on, and uh, one of the most common causes of forgiveness today, there's a very interesting thing that's happening. This is a very generational thing. Those of you who are older, let's call you uh, baby boomers. Not that you're old, but, you know, older. Uh, <laughs> And then, of course, those of us who are younger, you know, the, the, either the X generation or millennials or whatever they're calling us today. Uh, one of the interesting things that's come up is what psychologists call entitlement forgiveness, which is wanting somebody 
to do something for you, and they didn't do it. And now, all of a sudden, you have a deep wound. And here's how sick it gets. You know, I thought my parents were going to leave me more in their will. I thought my, my mom and dad were going to help me with my college education. I thought that my brother was going to let me live with him when I moved out of the house. Or I thought my coach was going to let me be the starting person. Or I thought my teacher was going to let me do this subject, but they gave it away to somebody else. It's what psychologists are calling entitlement forgiveness. We feel that we're entitled to something, and when we don't get it, and I know what it sounds like. It sounds like a two-year-old that didn't get their sucker when they asked for it. Here's the problem. We're all big two-year-olds, aren't we? Sometimes when we don't get what we want, we can actually manufacture a deep hurt in our heart that affects us in our life. And we can be mad at people because we thought we were entitled to something from them. And because they didn't get it or we didn't get what we want, we are actually hurt and wounded. But the hurt and wounding is completely manufactured by us. I can't tell you how many men who are, who are, who are in a relationship with somebody. Like, oh, well, you know, my girlfriend won't really do much with me. I feel really rejected by her. I think I'm going to break up. I'm like, wait a minute. Are you guys pursuing God in your relationship? Oh, yeah, you know, we're not having sex, but I mean, come on, you know, there's some things we can do. I said, well, why would you feel entitled to her body if you haven't made a commitment to her? Well, come on, I'm not, I'm not, I think entitled is a, a kind of a big world word, but I am her boyfriend. But you see, by you saying that, there's an entitlement mentality. And these guys are saying, oh, I feel so rejected. I just don't think she wants me sexually. Da, 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 da. I'm like, you've got to get that out of your mind. You're not entitled to her any more than she's entitled to you until you say, I do. Amen. Amen. I've had people sometimes go out and they're screaming at me, man. You know, oh, well, you didn't do this for me and you didn't do that for me. And you, you, you didn't call me. Da, 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 da. And I have to remind them, you're not entitled to me. My wife is entitled to me. My kids are entitled to me. But beyond even them, the one who is entitled to me first and foremost is God. God sets my time. God sets my schedule. And you could have picked up the phone. No, <laughs> but, you know, it, it's, a, it's a big thing because what happens is we feel we're entitled to something. And then we take it as a personal rejection when we don't get it. And I've talked to a lot of guys my age who complain about their parents. Oh, my dad didn't do this for me. Now, if it was something that dad should have done, I, I, I give a little grace, you know. Yes, dad should have, you know, provided the basic needs, food, shelter, clothing, education, take you to school, you know. But these are the things I'm talking about. Oh, my mom this or my mom that, my dad this or my dad that. I say, look, it's easy to go down that road. And I can tell there's a deep wound in there. And believe it or not, we have to go through the process of forgiveness. 
But I can tell you right now, if your parents were in the room, they may not even know you feel this way. They may not even understand why you feel this way. Nobody gave them anything. They had to put on their pants in the morning, go out, and through hard work and sacrifice, become the people they are. And you do too. Oh, well, you know, I don't know. It's like they some people just don't get that. And so we walk through the steps of forgiveness. because, And, and I, the reason why I'm going down this is because you will either have this at some point in your life or you'll probably have it from somebody because we are becoming the most entitlement society I've ever seen in my life. We get mad when we think somebody or something or some organization should do something for us and they're not. And the mad gets so twisted, it actually becomes a wound. As much as if somebody had slapped you, cut you, abused you, or humiliated you. And you have to go through the steps of forgiveness. Some of the worldly reactions that we have. And the reason why I put these up is because I am often tempted to teach my kids these things. Hey, when I was growing up, I grew up in the jungle of Detroit. Uh, I was told and taught, if you don't stand up for yourself, people are going to walk all over you. And, and it wasn't just defend yourself with words. I mean, it's throw rocks, bite, scratch. I, I, you know, it's like I always thought it was funny when people talk about a fair. There is no fair fight. Amen. There is no fair fight. Whatever you can do to hurt and humiliate the other guy, including biting them, scratching them, punching them, uh, you know. And, and, and so a lot of times we can return hurt for hurt. It's what we're really programmed with, you know. Uh, somebody hurts me, I hurt back. You know, it, it's that natural instinct. And sometimes I want to, you know, especially if my kids come home and they're like, oh, this person said something to me, and I want, well, you need to say this. You need to develop good comebacks, and you need to develop quick wit. Lately, I'm kind of like, you know what? I desperately need to teach them how to resolve things biblically. Otherwise, they will harbor unforgiveness and resentment toward all these schoolyard bullies. Second thing we do is withdraw. Write the person off. You only hurt yourself if you withdraw and not deal with the issue. Third thing, bottle it up and maintain a semblance of friendship. Uh, one of the greatest tragedies of my life is I had a friend, uh, and one time, I can't remember what it was. What was it? Oh, yeah. I took somebody else to a Mariner game. I didn't take him. Again, entitlement, you know? And, uh, but, but he loved the Mariners. I could care less about the Mariners. And I took somebody else who could have cared less about the Mariners. Too. <laughs> As I was moving down here, no, it was a few months before I moved down here, he has a meeting with me. He's like, you know what? You did this, and it, it, is, it has affected me for years. And I was so upset. Not because he was hurt. Because he faked it with me. For years. He faked being my friend for years. He had all these thoughts and feelings about a dumb baseball game. And yet he bottled it up. And toward the end, I could tell something was really bugging him. Another guy comes up and he's, he's fuming at me because I didn't respond to a text six months ago that he had texted me. He said, I have been angry and harbored bitterness because you didn't respond to this text. And I'm thinking, you were angry at me? You could have fooled me. But we do that. 
Why? Because it takes a lot to work out a conflict. Fourth thing is hurt can also cause us to be overly self-centered. Find someone who's really self-centered. Peel all the layers, dig deep in there, and you'll find someone who's really hurt, really wounded. And hurts and wounds can cause us to be overly self-centered. Resolving hurt requires this. First, choosing and being empowered by God's Spirit to forgive. Forgiveness isn't forgetting. It's not saying what the person did wasn't wrong. It's not saying that you aren't legitimately hurt. What it's doing is saying, you know what? My desire for vengeance, retribution, all this anger, I just give up to God. I give it up to you. I'm not going to walk in active retribution or anger or hurt this person anymore. Second thing is exhibiting godly sorrow, being able to place relationships above ourselves. And the third thing would be empathy. Go down the slide, Dan, if you could. So where does forgiveness begin? Forgiveness begins with grieving the hurt or the loss in prayer. Some people think forgiveness begins by just showing up in the pastor's office and saying, I need to forgive this. Long before I get to that process, I have them go through all the blood and gut story with me. Tell me how you felt. What did he say? How did she say it? How did those words make you feel? And people hate it. Tom, you're doing this. You're messing with my mind. You know, and they, and they, and they no, no. You need to get, you, we need to grieve this. What happened was wrong. Let's grieve it together. We need to grieve this. Otherwise, it'll be a hollow forgiveness. And go through all that. That is often why we avoid forgiveness. Because we do not want to deal with the pain of the grief of the hurt. It's a lot easier to just move on and not deal with it rather than to pursue forgiveness or grieve the hurt. And yet, we cannot begin to forgive without first grieving the hurt or the loss in prayer, releasing the hurt in prayer. We cannot wait till we feel like it, and we cannot forgive without the power of the Holy Spirit. What does God teach us? Next slide. First of all, he teaches that God is faithful and heals. I had some horrible things growing up where I grew up. Uh, I don't say that for, for show. I mean, it's not, you know, if I could have grown up, you know, nice, posh little neighborhood and not have any of the hangups I have today, I would have chosen that in a heartbeat. Trust me. Uh, Detroit, Michigan is not where I would have chosen to grow up, but I did. And so, some horrific things happened. Now as I'm approaching 40, I can honestly say God has really healed me of these things. Things that are unhealable heal me. Sometimes when I go home to family reunions, I'll have, you know, drama-oriented aunts and uncles or gossipy-oriented cousins who will want to ask me about it. Hey, so when this happened to you, da 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 and hey, how are you doing with that? That happened when you were six years old. How are you doing with that? And I'm thinking, thank you for bringing it up. I'm just so glad that you're reminding me of these horrible things that happened. Because, you see, there's a part where when something's healed and forgiven and done with, you move on and you don't have to look at it anymore. 
You don't have to live in it anymore. You just go. I'm not that person anymore. That person is dead, gone, buried. Every day, God's mercies are new. Uh, you know, when you're born again, like, like the Zamperini said, you become a new creation. Let me be the new creation. Amen. And quit bringing the old back. Amen? Yes. Number two, it's okay to draw boundaries with negative behavior. <coughs> People who have entitlement mentalities, who feel entitled to you, they'll get mad at you when you draw a boundary with them. Amen. But how are they ever going to learn Unless someone has the guts to say, you know what? This is wrong. And I'm going to draw a boundary. Amen? Number three, a scheme of the enemy is to keep us in unforgiveness resulting in our blessings being blocked. The blessings of God that want to come can often be blocked by an unforgiving heart. Why? Because God cannot bless hypocrisy. We cannot say in one breath, God forgive me, but I'm willing to forgive him. This week, I did a CNN poll. I don't know why. I, I, I was sick and I had a little bit of time, and so I did it. And it was the question was, if Jesus was to return today, uh, would he embrace modern Christianity? My, my comment was very simple. Uh, you, know, you would need to define modern Christianity. You know? So I had a problem with the question. I was being a little cantankerous, but it's okay. I was sick. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I decided to go ahead and read the thread. Very quickly, one of the first answers was, the reason why I can't stand Christians is they so quickly talk about the forgiveness of God, and yet in the same breath will not extend it to others. The very next post was, how can I ever respect a Christian who is unwilling to love someone who doesn't think like they do? And all of a sudden, I read probably a good hundred posts about how the world is fed up with people who so willingly embrace the forgiveness of Christ on one hand and yet are so unforgiving toward the world on the other. So willing to embrace the love of God on one hand and yet so unwilling to extend it on the other. And I read and I read and I read and I read and I realized this was what Paul was concerned about. They disciplined this guy. It was incest. It was horrible. But they disciplined him, and now they were going to the jugular. They were going to squash this guy and make him feel this tall. Paul said, oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's have a reset here. We forgive because we have been forgiven. Amen. We love because we have been loved much. We extend healing because we have been healed. We give because we have been given. I was thinking this morning when Kirk did the offering, many of you as you put your money in, you probably don't know half of where that money goes. I can tell you this much doesn't go to me. The percentage that we spend on people staffs in the church is actually quite low uh, for as far as churches go. But there are a lot of unsung heroes in our congregation who week in and week out do things, ministries that this church funds. You'd never know. Twice a month, we have outreach teams that go to some of the hardest hit parts of Oildale 
And they go and they feed. And they extend the love of God there. They do it in the name of White Point. But they do it in the name of Jesus. They go down to the, what I call the river people. I don't know, I don't mean that derogatorily. It just helps me remember. You know, we have hundreds of people who live on the islands in, in the Kern River. Uh, they hide there and they have tents and they you know, have their dogs and all that. They go out and gather them up and bring them to church without walls. Once a week, we have someone who goes, a team that goes to the senior center, Emeritus, down on Gosford. And they do a, a service for those senior citizens who are in assisted living, right? Is that what it's called? Uh, they, they can't leave. I mean, they, they can leave, but they need help. Uh, you know, they can't get to church regularly. Uh, you know, over the last six weeks, I've had an interesting thing happen, which has never happened in all my 16 years of ministry. I have had one appointment a week uh, where I have met with someone and had a wonderful conversation, wonderful, uh, uh, built a wonderful relationship, and then at the end of the conversation, they say, you know what, Tom, I want to give my heart to Christ. One a week for the last six weeks. That's never, yeah, that's never, never happened, you know. Uh, a lot of times, I hate to say it, a lot of my meetings are, you know, very me-focused. And, you know, the last six weeks, they've been very Christ-focused, which is amazing. And so, I don't know, I, I know it's a little bit of a divergence, but I don't want you to think for a moment that your investment into the kingdom of God is going for naught. Uh, there are youth ministries, there are tons of things that LifePoint is doing. In fact, I, uh, my boss lives in San Francisco. So we never see each other, but I can call him. Uh, and sometimes we talk on the phone, and he'll say, you know, tell me about some of your ministries. And I'll talk to him about the outreach ministry to Oildale, to Emeritus. We're going to juvenile justice here. Uh, we, we pay for this stuff. It, it all comes from what we put in the collection. If it's there, we can do it. If it's not, we can't. And in all the time I've been here, we've never had to say no to one ministry. The money has always been there. And I know it's not about money. But it is to a degree when you're talking about funding the, you know, the, the good things that are happening. He, I told him all these things that were happening, and he goes, wow, I thought you were just a small church in Bakersfield. I said, we are a small church in Bakersfield. We got a good core. We got a good core. Amen? Perhaps the biggest place for unforgiveness that we can hold is toward the non-church or the unchurched. I don't know why, but it nauseates me when I hear a pastor's sermon and you feel this us and them mentality. There's us, the people of God, the Christians of the world, and then there's them, those no good heathen pagans. It bothers me. In fact, it sickens me because that is not how God views the world at all. In fact, if Jesus were to come down, he would look at them and say, they're going to make it into heaven before you exactly what he told the Pharisees. But we can get in that sometimes. That unforgiveness. Wanting to punish people. You may say, Tom, why is that? I can tell you why. We live in a world that is getting increasingly hostile to Christianity. Uh, I feel it. When I tell people I'm a pastor, oh my goodness, you can feel the elephant in the room. You know, when I, when I go home to my family reunions, they don't know what to do with it. They get awkward. They, they swear and they go, oh, I'm sorry. You know, like, please don't apologize for being you, you know. Uh, I mean, it, you know, and many of you probably feel it as well. You can see it in the news. 
You know what's happening in Houston right now? They're, have you heard about that? They're subpoenaing sermons in order to target pastors for malignant prosecution. So the tides have turned. And what can happen? We can get mad. We can start harboring unforgiveness toward our country. Because we're no longer the so-called Christian nation we might have once thought we were. Fact is, we were never, never meant to be. Christ doesn't desire a Christian nation on earth, but the kingdom of heaven in our hearts. Amen? And so I want to leave you with just one quick thought this morning. To want forgiveness, but to be unwilling to grant forgiveness. That is the definition of hypocrisy. Let's not be hypocrites. We get hurt. But God gets us through the hurt. We get low. God lifts us up. We're forgiven. And God gives us the strength to forget. Amen? Fire has to push us forward. Heavenly Father, as we close our service this morning, God, I think it's appropriate 